Acts chapter 8 is where we are at, and as you're finding your way to the book of Acts, um, I want you to ponder, think back on your own life, and I want you to think about which fork in the road was most impactful to you to get to where you are today. Or maybe to serve our purposes this morning, um, which switch in the track has led you most to where you are today? Um, Our life's is made up of a whole bunch of moments, but there's a few key ones that sort of happen that as we reverse engineer it, we look and go, wow, that's, that's how I got to where I am today. Let me give you an example. Um, I chose to go skiing one day. I chose to take a ski jump one day. I did not choose um, to land and have my head go into a tree stump. That was not my choice. Um, however, that 10-inch scar across my head led me to go from architecture studies at West Valley College, planning to go to Cal Poly, and it switched me over to a place called San Jose Christian College and led me to be a pastor. Let me tell you, that was a headache, getting there, Um, but God works in our pain, amen? Yeah, I chose to go skiing, didn't choose to get injured and laid up for a month and a half. So that one fork in the road really um, altered the course of my life, and I think yours is probably something similar to that. Acts 8, I've kind of framed it this way, that you know the gospel involves a decision. It involves getting on board or not getting on board, right? And, um, and God's invitation to get on board means this, accepting it, it leads to kingdom life. That's what it means to accept God's invitation to become a Christian. Jesus' invitation to follow him and walk in his ways. What does declining it mean? Each person has the opportunity to get on board or remain back. Declining God's invitation means missing out now on the life God has for us and the certainty of death in the future. Not just physical death, we're all going to meet physical death unless the Lord chooses otherwise, but I mean eternal death, eternally missing out on the life that we have in God. So Acts chapter 8, if you look at Acts chapter 8 in in its whole, we actually see a life and death response to the gospel laid out for us. If you missed last week or just by way of review, what does a death response look like? Simon the Samaritan, he receives the gospel with apparent joy and even action. He gets baptized. This looks like a really, really good thing. But his heart remains unchanged. It's hard. It's rock-like. There's not repentance that we see. And so the seed of the gospel is snatched away and doesn't take root. Here's what we know, and we can look at this all around us all the time, uh, that people will always want the emotional, spiritual high of God without dealing with or submitting to the real God. Do we see that all over the place? We do. Here's what I love about Lucas. I love that Lucas is up here doing some things that I have seen sort of what I would term fake ministry leading to false converts in our, in our, in our world today. Doing similar kinds of things, but you know what's not going on at churches that are just about the spiritual hype? You don't read Romans 7, do you? about sin and about flesh and about this wrestling match going on. The very thing I want to do, I don't do. Why? Because I'm still in this body of flesh. But praise be to God, who will rescue me? It's Jesus. I don't know if you caught the song Breathe, but the song Breathe is just breathing out a gospel prayer. I am desperate for you today. I am lost without you today. God, if you don't rescue me from me today, I'm in a world of hurt. That's what we just sang and did. Way back in the 90s, I know some of you young people will be like, when was that? Way back in the 90s, someone said this, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining goats. By the way, The 90s I'm talking about is the 1890s. That's Charles Spurgeon. This has been going on for a long time. We didn't invent clowns teaching sheep. Acts chapter 8 
Who, were, who, who was amazed at Jesus under Simon's care? No one. They were amazed at Simon. Simon the Great. He would tell them he was great. So Simon's life is a warning that if we add the gospel onto our existing life, we remain dead. That's the definition of a false gospel. Simon liked to amaze people, and then he was amazed that the Holy Spirit was being dished out by this guy's hands. And remember, he wanted, hey, how much do you want for that? Give me that power. I just heard this from a pastor, uh, I think it's in Oklahoma. It's a place called Transformation Church, but here's what he said. He said, come to Jesus. It will significantly upgrade your life. And I thought, no, that's not it. That's adding on to your old life. Get a little bit of Jesus on there or a lot of Jesus on there. It's going to significantly upgrade your life. No, no, no. It's going to bring you from death to life. That's a huge difference, even though the semantics and wording is a little bit different. All right, this week, it's a little bit more cheery. We get to look at a life-giving response to the gospel. Last week, we saw sort of a a death response. What does a life response look like? Well, we have the Ethiopian eunuch. And let me just have you follow along. I'm going to start in verse 26. And I just want you to notice, it's the same Philip. Remember, Philip is one of the seven that was chosen to serve the tables back in Acts chapter 6. And now he's out. God's leading him different places. And all Philip is doing is acting like a regular Christian. What do regular Christians do? They hear and do what Jesus says. That's it. So just watch for that as we, as we read this. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Okay, pause. Here's what I want to do this morning. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, um, if nothing else, just to keep you engaged. I often take notes because I have to write and keep engaged. Otherwise, I'll be all over the place. I'm going to give you a few ways to look at Philip. We're going to look at Philip the Christian first and see what qualities do we see in Philip's life that we can cultivate. And then we're going to turn our attention, sort of read this passage again, and look at it through the lens of the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay. So first of all, Philip, the passage, uh, the angel says, rise and go. What does Philip do? He rose and went. Uh, the angel says, go over and, or the spirit says, go over and join. What did Philip do? He ran over and joined. Do you see what I'm saying? Like Philip's just living the Christian life. The Christian life is to be attentive and listen to, to God's word and go and do it. Really simple. There's just such power in simple, immediate obedience. Can't you give testimony to the time where you just go, man, the spirit prompted me to do this. It didn't really make sense. I did it. And God just rewarded it. He's trying to show us. He's trying to parent us into a way of trusting, loving, uh, uh, living that is just, it's often so incredibly unexpected. In fact, I would say this, if you embrace the gospel and choose to follow Jesus, you will go to places you would never choose to go on your own. You'll find yourself doing things you would never do on your own. Over and over and over again, I find myself in conversations, places, and things, and I just go, this is not Dave the flesh. This is not the old man leading me to do these things. Praise God. I still feel ill-equipped at times. I still feel really scared being there. I still go, what am I doing here? It's the life of Christ in us. For Philip, here's what he was told. Hey, Philip, head to Philistine country. Does the Philistines sound familiar? Goliath country? right? That's what he's told to go do. So he does it. We said this over the last couple weeks, and we see this just all through the book of Acts. God tells us what to do, not what will happen. Over and over and over again, you're forking the road. God tells us what to do, 
not what will happen. And we see this here as well. In fact, the the lead-in to the song of He Reigns is, did you hear that we had Asian believers, Africa, the Amazon? It's that this is for the whole wide world. And if you look at the chapter of Acts, remember Jesus says, go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them, uh, teaching them to obey all I've commanded, in Judea, in Samaria, and what? To the uttermost parts of the world. In one chapter, the book, the book of Acts, chapter 8, what we see is we see it going from Jerusalem. Great persecution arose that day, and they were scattered. We see him going to Samaria. Remember last week, there's a poppin' revival going on right now in Samaria City. The whole city is rejoicing, responding to the gospel. And then Philip's told, hey, go out to the desert. By the end of chapter 8, the gospel will have reached the uttermost parts of the world. That's what Ethiopia was at the time. The uttermost parts of the world. God tells us what to do, not what will happen. Let me say a couple of opening thoughts before I get to my five. I'll go quick with the five. Philip is a lay person, not a leader. Remember it says that when the persecution happened, it says that people scattered and they went preaching the gospel except the apostles. They remained. So Philip is a lay leader. Watch this with no apparent special training, except that one thing that changes everything, the spirit of the living God resides in him. New covenant, we now have a temple made in the heart of man, and that God goes wherever you go. He's the spirit of all truth. He'll remind you what to say right in the moment. We see that all in Acts chapter 8. So he's a lay person, not a special professional Christian somehow. What I want to show you with these five sort of character traits with Philip, is everything Philip is, so are we. We can be. So in your notes, it's actually phrased this way. Philip's this, and so can we. So can I. I want to show you this because it's not just that we elevate people in the Bible and say, well, yeah, but, but that was a unique time. That was this, that was this. We, we have the same spirit of the living God. So how to share life? Let me give you five qualities to cultivate. Number one, Philip is sensitive to God in his life. Again, there is no real reason that we can see from the text. Why would you leave a revival that God led you to start this revival? And it is, watch me, successful. What does that mean? Lots of people are there. Big deal, big show, big thing happening. People are coming to faith. People are getting baptized. People are rejoicing. And so... Why leave that and go to the desert? Philip is modeling for us something that we all need in our life. He is leaning on the plans of the Lord rather than his own plans. He's leaning on the logic of the Lord rather than his own logic. Over and over and over again. I have some inquisitive children. Many times my inquisitive children want to know what the plan is four days from now. And here's what I tell them. Be a kid. You don't need to know that. You just be a kid. Like right now, you just keep throwing me the football back. That's all we're doing. Let dad worry about that. Because there's so much kind of going on to I know it would lead to 27 other questions, all of which there's, we're, we're going to get to places where he Just be a kid. Just trust. Remember, you just have bags packed by tomorrow morning before school. That's it. That's all you have to do. Okay, got it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on what? Your own understanding. Here's a really convicting passage. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And then what's the final promise? He will direct your train track. He'll direct your path. There's choices we make. There's choices made for us. Philip is just modeling this. I don't know how it makes sense to leave, but God, you led me to start this whole thing. You must need me in the desert. He cares about individuals. He cares about whole cities. We sort of see this uh, played out. Again, Ethiopia was, was in the Roman Empire mindset of no consequence whatsoever. You want to talk about the uttermost part of the known world? It was Ethiopia. And it was like, who cares about about way, 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 way out there. God cares. 
That's who. Aren't you thrilled God cares about Ethiopia? I hope so, because San Jose is a whole lot farther from Jerusalem than Ethiopia is. But Ethiopia was the path to going to the uttermost part of the world. Here's a prayer. God, in the middle of my pain or success, help me focus on your voice. Do you think there were voices in Samaria City saying, Philip, you got to stay here. This thing's just going. We could triple in size. I promise you there were. God, in the middle of my success or my pain, would you help me hear your voice? This is rampant in America right now where pastors, congregants are just as guilty of this, but it's more visible of pastors, where pastors are not so much called and devoted until God moves them on. They are, they are career shopping and sort of moving around. Sometimes people leave a ministry because it gets hard. You guys just get too frustrating. So it's like the pastor's like, I just got to go somewhere else where we have better people who aren't sinners saved by grace. (laughs) Okay, good luck. Or there's things where it's like, man, if if I can build this, what about? I could really influence for the Lord. And there are voices coming all the time. God, in the middle of my pain or success... Just help me listen to your voice. I say this periodically from the front because I think congregations need this sometimes. Um, but I just give you assurance. Like mine and Becky's heart and plan is to be here forever until God calls us elsewhere. Genuinely, in six months, this is not in my train track plan. In six months, I may be having my farewell service and go, wow, who knew? I was saying with utter integrity back in whatever month it is, April. But God's opened this thing, and, 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 we're, and we're headed over here. That's the heart that I have. I, I want to be the way Philip is being here. Here's number two. He's available. So it's one thing to be sensitive to God. It's another thing to actually avail your actual plans. It's another thing to actually take the track to the right. If God is saying, I'm leading you over to this desert road. Who could have guessed that a political leader in the middle of nowhere was reading God's word? Answer, no one. God knew. He didn't guess. He knew. I need you, Philip, here at this intersection. Why? Because it's history. I'm, it, all of history came from my mind. I'm in control of this whole story, every thread of it. So Philip couldn't have guessed that. He just followed God. Let me just tell you that chance and luck are not Christian ideas. I catch myself once in a while saying, I just got lucky, or hey, by chance, and I go, wait a minute, I don't even believe in that. That's not a Christian idea. I believe in a sovereign God who reigns over everything, who has nothing out of his control. He's in total control. God puts us in the path of people for his purposes. How about this prayer? God, I'm available today in my appointments, in my downtime, in my travel. If you break down unexpectedly, know this, God knew that. Now, you may have been kind of a dumb car owner and forgotten to put gas in your car or forgotten to whatever, but God knew that. So you say, okay, God, here I am on the side of the road. I'm still yours. I'm still on duty. Let me just be be watchful. Number three, Philip takes initiative. In verse 29, what we see is that the Spirit said, go over and join so Philip ran to him. So he takes initiative. When we hear sometimes that we're supposed to be sensitive to the Lord and available to the Lord, we can go like a decade and go, I'm just available to God. What are you doing about it? I'm just, I'm remaining available. Okay. Uh, what else? Has he told you anything? <laughs> right? There's a, there's a sense around here, part of the word simple at this church means we are not going to entangle ourselves with every ministry, all the things that we could do. We're going to not do everything we could do as a church, but we're going to focus on the things we must do. And part of that is this, part of not having just a ton of programs all the time is that next door neighbor that you're praying for when they finally invite you over for dinner or accept your invitation to go to the park with their kids or whatever might be going on, you have time to do it. 
What a tragedy if you've been praying for a next-door neighbor. They say, hey, why don't we grab dinner sometime? You go, yeah, that'd be great. How about this week? Well, I can't this week. I've got practice uh, at the church here. I've got Bible study at the church there. Uh, church on Sunday. I have these other things. Do you want to join any of those? Your neighbor will probably say, no, I would have already come. I just want to have dinner with you. Well, in six months, I'll be done with this ministry obligation, and then we can sort of connect. I think we ought to be, like, available, sensitive to the Lord, but also expectant that there's something that's going to happen. Philip takes initiative. He didn't wait, but he found a way over. Here's what he did. He put himself in the path of the action. And I want you to watch. He's going to balance this with something really incredible here in a moment. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he took the next right step. Yes, a little nod to Frozen 2. Um, but he respects the person's freedom to take a, a way out. And what I want you to watch is this. Some of your personalities are, ooh, take initiative. That's just never me. I'm the one who, oops, there's a step. I'm going to keep going. Oh, now I'm being raised into the spotlight more. I'm going to slink over here and get, please don't look at me. So there's just, I mean, some people just, please don't make me take initiative. I'll jump in if you, if you want. I'll do those things. That's one personality. The other personality is what? God says, go to Gaza. And it's like a hand that the head said, hey, don't do a bunch of extra steps. Just right now, go to Gaza and go join that chariot. But that guy's up there doing everything to the chariot. He's washing the chariot because he wants to serve in Christ. He's changing the oil on the chariot. And the guy's like, what are you doing to all my stuff? Get away from me. So we can, we can err on both sides of this. He takes initiative. He took the next right step. But watch what he does next. Here's number four, and this is what I'm getting at. He's tactful. There's a balance between initiative and tact, isn't there? I hope you bump into the guardrails of both once in a while, because I think that means that you're sort of figuring out who you are and, and how God works in things. There are times I'm like, oops, too much initiative, no tact. There are times I'm like, ah, in the name of tactfulness, I've been a coward. I did not open my mouth, or I didn't want to be inconvenienced. I wasn't being tactful, I was being selfish. He's tactful. Verse 31, look at it. And he said to him, how can I, unless someone guides me, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So he didn't charge in with all of his Bible knowledge and spirit power. He put himself close and waited to be invited closer. We have this saying around here, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Do you know how you can help someone? So if people are coming here from all different places in life because of their train tracks and where it's led them today, how do we know how to get someone from here to here? We have to listen. We have to pay attention. We have to ask really good questions. Man, humbly asking a question with the intent to actually listen to the answer, not to set them up for you to share the four spiritual laws, is a powerful tool. You know what I know about human beings? We love the sound of our name. We love it when people give us undivided attention to really see us and care about us. Where do we get that? The God who sees. Man, that's what draws us to God. So we get to be image bearers of God, the God who sees. Tell me about that. What does Philip do? Do you understand what you're reading? He doesn't go up and go, ah, pick me. I know all about what you're talking about right there. You want some help? You look like you need help. I'll, ju I'll jump right up next to you. He's probably like, pick up the pace. Get away from this guy. So there's initiative and tact that we see going on here. Here's what happens. Finding out where someone is, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Lead them to the cross and then to the empty tomb. What happens with one simple question is it leads to him naturally talking about the gospel. I don't even know where I got this. I have to credit people I get things from, but it stayed in my mind. The cross is offensive enough on its own. So let the cross be offensive, not you. Do everything in your power to not be offensive. Christian, the cross is offensive. We called our church for two weeks. We changed the name of our church as we were going through a part of Romans. We changed it to Neighborhood Pleasing Church. 
No, neighborhood pleasing Bible church. We left Bible in there. Why? Because it says, please your neighbor for the building up of their good. In every way that we possibly can, give allowance to your neighbor for the building up of their good. So don't come in and be offensive. Learn what you're doing that is that and let the cross be offensive. Here's the last one. He's precise. He doesn't talk about God in generalities, but God specific. He makes known the mysterious plan of God. Why? Because he knows it. How does Philip know it? Because God revealed it to him. If not, it would be all guesswork. His opinion would be equal to anyone else's guess about what God is like and what true happiness is found in. God has revealed his mysterious plan to you and I, Christian. Non-Christian, you're here going, I've heard this before, can't make sense of it, not sure if I believe it yet. But if we're a Christian here today, we know this to be true because God's made it known to us. So meet people on whatever road they are on, whatever place God has led you to, lead them to Jesus. By the way, here's a little tip. As you open your mouth about Jesus, God, spirituality, absolute truth, and a host of other things, plan on rabbit trails. Plan on people saying, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, I, I, I want to unload on you about all the things I have with the problem with Christianity. You mentioned the Bible? You mentioned Jesus? God? Absolute truth? So there are, there are all kinds of rabbit trails as you start to, to make a beeline for the cross that you'll just have to know how to handle. I jotted down a few that come up all the time. Evolution, gender, pain, the most recent scandal. But we could go on, couldn't we? So how do you not answer every topic under the sun for all of mankind, for all of time, and keep it on the cross? There are some good tips, but I'm not going to give them to you right now. We don't have time. All right, turn to Acts 17. We're going to get to Acts 17 at some point in the future because we're working our way through the book of Acts. But I just thought about Paul as I, as I put this list together and saw it in Philip's life. Look at how Paul does this absolutely brilliantly. And I put these, uh, these five points, or at least four of them, insert it into the text on the screen so you can kind of see where I see him applying the same principle. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. It says this, So Paul, standing in the midst of the uh, Areopagus, a place where ideas are exchanged, that means he was available, then, takes initiative, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He's tactful. Do you see that? They go, yeah, we are. We're some of the most known religious people in the land. Tell me more, Paul. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now watch how specific and precise he gets. The God who made the whole world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Remember, he's in a place where there's all kinds of what? Temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Does that sound like a sovereign God who's in total control? He's allotted where you live, person. He's allotted the length of your days. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Man, what a powerful picture in Acts 17 of him applying these very similar things. By the way, you will read of a tactic, you will hear someone, you will see things, and you'll go, man, why do I click so much with this person? I just met them. It's because the same spirit of the living God that resides in you is agreeing in your spirit with the way that that person is preaching or speaking or moving or having their being. That's why. All right, 
So now we're going to see from this point, by the way, God use Philip to spread the gospel to the African continent. This God who made every nation is drawing them to himself. And what a contrast, contrast the Ethiopian is to Simon the Samaritan. So let me take one more pass. I'm not going to read every bit of it, but let me show you uh, once again, verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come down to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Here's what we know of true conversion, is that God is on the move. God is working on people long before we get there. So how do we receive the gospel in a life-giving way? Well, number one, we see in this Ethiopian, he stirred to seek God. I love chocolate milk. I've always loved chocolate milk. And when I came of age, whatever age that was, I was allowed to come home, pour my own milk, and take the chocolate Nesquik powder and stir it in myself. Thus making milk, eh, pretty good, into chocolate milk. Woohoo! Right? Like, that's just amazing. When I look at that milk, if, if we're the milk, let me just tell you this. If you are being stirred toward the things of God and eternal matters, an outside source is stirring that into you. No one seeks God on their own. There's nothing in the flesh that makes ourselves alive. Dead things don't seek living things. Why? Because they're dead. Now, God can use a sermon. God can use the Bible. God can use all kinds of different other people even. But the stirring comes from outside God. We see this happening. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was reading the Bible. Now, people are spiritually hungry for the one true God. Do you believe this? People are hungry for the one true God. I, ab I absolutely believe that to my core. So I have a going-in position, not just at church on Sunday, but when I'm broken down on a Monday, true of last week, that every person I see is hungry for God. They may not know it yet. So I go, Lord, how can I awaken the hunger? What if the aroma of grace were to somehow, uh, ooh, I'm hungry. How can I do that? Lord, would you use me? God is on the move. True, con true converts have God working on them in advance. C.S. Lewis called God the hound of heaven. That he's like on your, he's sniffing after you. He's coming after you. I told this story before, but when I moved into my current house, maybe 11 years ago now, I met my one neighbor and I needed some tools and I met my other neighbor. And as we got talking within a couple of minutes, um, he asked me, what do you do? I said, I pastor the church down the street. He goes, ah, ha, ha, like this huge reaction. And it's not that uncommon, like, you know, but he goes, and I go, I go, wow, wow, what, what's all this reaction for? He goes, oh, I can't believe it. I said, what can't you believe? Here's what he said. He said, God is moving in on me. I go, really? <laughs> Literally? Like, I'm not God. What do you mean by that? Tell me more. And he said, my brother-in-law is a pastor. Um, he said, a person at work has been sharing Jesus and the cross with me, and then my new neighbor is a pastor of a Bible-teaching church. I said, brother, you're right. Surrender. <laughs> like, honestly, give up, because, I mean, he's on your trail. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's pretty rare. I go back 11 years, because that doesn't happen all the time that way. But it's just spectacular, because I just, I, I just go, yeah, God is closing in on you. Here's number two. The Ethiopian is humble. He asks for help. He initiates learning. He said, how can I understand this unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Friends, reading the Bible is a spiritual exercise that requires spiritual help. You can read the Bible, study the Bible. You can actually glean from the Bible. But much of it will not make sense. Even the most learned people in the world, not having the Spirit of God, won't have the full understanding of the, of, of the Bible. In fact, much of it will be kind of lost on them. Jesus said, I've only come for the sick. Only the sick will rush to the doctor because they get it. They're like, I'm sick. I need a doctor. The healthy go, oh, I'll pass. I don't need it. 
So my, my stance on people who are like, I'll pass. I don't think, well, they're doomed to going to hell. I think, oh, not yet. God's got to tighten the noose a little more. God's got to show you your need. God's got to show you your sickness. It's coming. Because we're sick without God. It's, it's, it's coming. So watch for people who are receptive, open, and hungry. Here's my experience. Maybe yours is like it. You cannot judge a book by its cover. You can't tell from the outside. I don't walk into a situation and go, that person's spiritually hungry. Sometimes I do. But the vast majority of time, Simon's and Ethiopian units look exactly the same to me. I don't know their heart. I don't know their mindset. I don't know where they are in life circumstances right now. So you fish, you put the line in the water, you put some questions out, you're interested in them. But initial body language and outside things, I, you know, share the gospel with me. I've never, I, I don't see people wearing that shirt. So it takes some initiative to kind of uh, get in there. Here's number three. A true convert will, will dig in. He will investigate. This guy's not after a quick fix. He's hungry for substance. How do I know that? If he was just doing it as a religious exercise, he wouldn't travel to Jerusalem. He wouldn't be reading the Bible and say, if, if he was just looking to sort of do some religious things or sort of learn the latest thing, um, no, I'm good. Go on your way, stranger. <laughs> I don't need to really understand this. I think he's looking into this. His heart is hungry. Remember this, that Christianity has testable claims. That's by God's design. God has made it so we are supposed to worship him with our mind and not use little sloganeering as sort of a cop-out to doing the hard work of thinking hard about hard things. We talked about a theology of suffering last week, right? So testable claims, logic is demanded, healthy skepticism is, is invited in Christianity. Many Christians I've talked to don't witness for fear of not knowing how to answer someone. Isn't that true? It's true of me. Most of the time, it's not that I don't want to be bothered. Most of the time, it's not that I don't see that person in love. There's, there's a fear that can well up and go, what if they ask about this? And so sometimes we keep our mouth closed. I want you to right now uh, take your Bible. It's really hard to do digitally, so just... Grab the one in front of you. But everyone take your Bible and go to the Old Testament. First two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament. And I want you to just, without looking, I want you to randomly find a verse, and I want you to point to it, okay? So find a verse. You're not going to have to read it out loud. You don't have to do anything else. Just I want you to find a verse. Right now, this is a pop quiz. Find a verse in the Old Testament. Put your finger on it. Read it in your mind. And see if you can take that verse and lead it to Jesus of Nazareth dying on a cross for your sin and mine and rising on the third day, conquering death and sin. Try to get it to the gospel. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to work this out in your mind. All right, you might need more than 10 seconds. This might be a fun game to play as a family or roommates or just by yourself, like a little challenge to yourself. <clears throat> I decided to do this. I think I did this on Wednesday of this week. I grabbed my physical Bible. I went, boop, here's what I came up with. It's on the screen. Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan, and there was one governor who was over the land. Woo! It's like a double black diamond verse. Thanks, Lord. Here's what I did. I'm playing my own game, okay? I saw that verse. I kind of chuckled. I just noted it because I'm like, maybe I'll just show this. I went to the paragraph heading. So context. Understand the scripture in context. I just went like this. I just, here, in, in, in New School... I just kind of zoom, zoom, zoomed out a little bit. Where are we in, in the chapter even? I just went up to the paragraph, and here's what I saw. Top of the paragraph said, Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel. Boom. That was it. Here's what I came up with. God made this man Solomon great. 
He gave him success to build a physical, earthly temple where God would meet with people only to one day bring from this person's body a true king, an eternal king, who would do some things we call the gospel that would make the temple, the dwelling place of the living God, now in human beings. Now, I was doing that in an office. Not in real time, not with a person staring at me going, all the Bible points to Jesus? Well, how about this verse? It's a little bit like improv, right? Some of you are like, improv sounds challenging and fun and hard. But honestly, that didn't take long for me. Now, I could do this five more times, and maybe I wouldn't do as, as well. But I thought, yeah, I actually know this story. I know Solomon. I, I don't know uh, some of these other names in here off the top of my head. Here's the point. In looking at this and availing yourself, saying, God, I'm, I am, my motive for being here is love for this person and glory to you. I believe their absolute need is this. I'm availing myself to you. Look at the passage Philip gets. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading, the guy in the chariot, was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, he opens his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? I want you to raise your hand if you think you could take this Ethiopian eunuch from this place in Isaiah to the gospel. Raise your hand if you can do that. I mean, I'm not going to make you do it. I know you. More hands are up. Come on. This, here's what happens. This is a softball lob right over the plate for Philip. He steps in the plate. I'm for you, Lord. What? Boom! Hits it out of the park. Why? That's the passage he's reading? Are you kidding me? This is a no-way moment. I hope you have a few no-way moments in your witnessing because it will spur you on to witness some more. Sometimes one question leads to, how can I know that God actually loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life? Do you have any answers? They don't know I'm a pastor yet. I'm like, yeah, I do. Let's go. This passage is the passage God gives to the Ethiopian so that Philip can lead him to Jesus. Put yourself, avail yourself, and this is what is going to happen. Here's the point. Seekers ask for directions. I've lived in San Jose almost my entire life, 10 months in Colorado Springs. Otherwise, I've been here my whole life. So if a person were to stop and say, hey, question for you. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking for Sprouts. I'd say, oh, well, Sprouts is like right down the street. You're going to go through one light, and you're going to turn into the parking lot. Got it. Thank you. I know because I've lived here my whole life. I know right where the Sprouts is that they're talking about. Now, if they ask for something in San Jose that I've never... I don't know every address in San Jose. I don't know everything in San Jose. Where's this street? I don't know. Now, we have phones right now, so it's like, just ask your phone. But I would want to keep engaging with the person. So I'd say, but I know someone who does. My mom's lived here her whole life. Let me call my mom. Let me ask for help. Let me research it. Oh, it's in the Rose Garden District? Oh, got it. Here's roughly how you get there. Once you get there, da 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 This is how it is with the Bible. You're not supposed to memorize and know everything in the Bible about God. You don't. Have some humility. Of course we don't. But when we go, we say, am I, am I a local? Do I live in this place? I do. I've lived and worked here and, and had my life here for the last five years, for 12 years, for my whole life. So we avail ourselves to seekers. Regularly, I am given truth in the morning as I avail myself to God's word that I realize later in the day, I always want to apply it to myself first. God, what do you have for me? I'm feasting. I'm not just handing out the food and never, never eating myself. But regularly, people will ask me something later that day that I go, oh, this is for you. Here, I've got a verse for that. I've got a theological concept for that. I've got a story for that of God's goodness. All right, here's the last one. By the way, here's a really empowering answer. If you fear bumping into something that you don't know in the scriptures or someone's going to ask you something, here it is. Ready? I don't know. That's it. How does this tie into the gospel? I have no idea. Let's see if we can get some help. That's a really empowering answer. God will honor that. Here's number four. He's decisive. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, and Philip, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This guy decides on the spot to obey Jesus' command to be baptized. Here's what I want to tell you about that. It stands to reason that Philip, in his presentation of the gospel, must have included an urgent call to be baptized. Does that make sense? It logically follows, if he's been explaining Jesus, that Philip takes the command to make disciples and baptize them as a package thing. Not a bonus side thing that one day you should do if you feel really spiritual or need some extra cleansing. It's embedded in the gospel presentation. The Ethiopian must have understood this and had an urgency to obey. Here's another thing. They must have been immersed, dumped. There's no need to wait for a body of water. Certainly, this court official of the queen had cup holders and water for the journey. They're going through the desert. If it was to be sprinkled, all he would have had to say is, can I get baptized right here while we're cruising along? Let me put some water on you. Yeah. But they come to a body of water. How else do we know that they were immersed? They both went down into the water and came up. Look at Jesus' baptism. He goes in and comes back up. What's the metaphor of baptism? We go into the grave, die to our old self. We are raised up from the water, newness of life, and go on our way. I'll just tell you, Neighborhood Bible Church, we adhere to believers' baptism. What does that mean? It means that people getting baptized have an understanding of the gospel, and are making the choice to follow him. Someone else isn't making the choice for them. They are choosing to repent and receive forgiveness. They are choosing to obey Jesus' command to be baptized. We immerse because that is the only means of baptism that we see in the New Testament. So we do this miniature play, this reenactment of the gospel And the Ethiopian asks a great question. What prevents me? Here's what prevents you today, friend, from being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's belief. And we see this from Acts 2. So those who received his word were baptized. They receive it. They believe it. Acts 8. But when they believed Philip, this is Samaria, as he preached the good news in the name of Jesus Christ... They were baptized, both men and women. And then repentance. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching, what should we do? Our hearts are cut. We know we're desperate and lost for God. What should we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent and believe. Those are the two requirements. Now let me just give you something really joyful, and that is that next hour we have two baptisms. Can I show you the sovereignty of God? We were supposed to be in Acts chapter 8 last week, but your pastor from last week couldn't get through all of chapter 8 in one service, and so he extended it one more week. And now on this week, we have baptisms. Praise God, he always lines up and knows kind of how it should be. Let me invite the band to come on up, and let me just show you two more things. What else indicates true conversion? It's joy. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. True conversion is accompanied by joy. Christian, hear me, especially longtime Christian who may be discouraged this morning. For Christians, every day is Christmas morning. We wake up and we go, no way, my name is written in the book of life today. No way, the God of the universe is over me and covering me. He goes before me and behind me. He's on my left and my right. He's calling people from all the points of the compass to himself. And I'm on his team. Woo! This is going to be a good day. Now, I'm a naturally optimistic person. Can you guess? It doesn't matter if you're a naturally pessimistic person. The reality of the historical Jesus who lived a sinless life and died for your sin means you are out of your lostness. You are out of your desperation because of him. 
I'm going to go outside of the text, and I'm going to give you a sixth one. Here's the last and final one. This Ethiopian is fruitful and effective. We can't tell that from just reading Acts chapter 8. We can tell that from reading the rest of the Bible. We can tell that from looking at history. 2 Peter 1.8 shows us that knowing is never enough. You know the gospel? Good. Share it. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we adopted our two children from Ethiopia, I met Ethiopian Christians. A friend named Haile, as we talked about the Trinity, as we talked about assurance of salvation, as we talked about inerrancy of scripture, go to our doctrine page. We just chatted over the days. This 50-year-old man had never left the city he was born in, Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. Guess what? We lined up on all these points of theology. He didn't have a high school education. Why? The spirit of the living God is in highly, my brother. The spirit of the living God is in me. I got to see ethnically Ethiopian Jewish Christians who had traveled for hours to hear the preaching of God's word. And I thought, whoa, this is the lineage of Philip's faithfulness. Do you pray with me? God, you have given us the power to finish the mission. God, it's your desire that no one goes through this life without having an opportunity to be invited into the life you have for us by faith in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for Isaiah Chow. We thank you for Andrew Duncan. God, young men who at a very young age in families that have pointed them to you have heard and received the invitation. And today we just get to celebrate what's already gone on unseen eternally in their life. God, thank you for the miracle of this. Help us never lose the wonder. Amen.